This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Carol Van Dam and here's what's coming up. So the drought significantly affects the availability of safe drinking water for people in those areas. We also have other climate conditions like flooding and, 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 and cyclones. That's Patrick Otim, health emergency officer in WHO's Africa region on flare-ups of cholera in several African countries that have been worsened by conflict, drought and other factors. Also, South Africa's president's State of the Union speech came amid concerns over multiple crises. Access to social media has been blocked in Ethiopia amid a rift in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. And we talk with the head of the group Constituency for Africa about how things have changed and haven't changed for African Americans over the past century. All this and more coming up on Africa News Tonight. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa has given his annual State of the Nation speech at a time when think tanks are warning the countries on the brink of social unrest because of multiple crises. Unemployment is among the highest in the world, violent crime is soaring, and delivery of basic services is crumbling, with long electricity and water breakdowns common. Darren Taylor reports. Much of the president's speech focused on the energy crisis, which he acknowledged is destroying the economy. The lights have been going on and off in South Africa for the past 15 years. But the crisis reached new heights last July, with electricity outages lasting up to 12 hours a day. Since 1998, successive African National Congress governments ignored expert advice to build new power generation capacity. The chaos at state electricity utility ESCOM deepened between 2009 and 2018, when then-President Jacob Zuma allegedly appointed cronies to loot the company. He denies wrongdoing. Last night, for the fourth year in a row, Ramaphosa promised to end the blackouts. He announced tax breaks for households and businesses using solar energy and even a new Ministry of Electricity, something governance expert Alex van den Heufer describes as inexplicable. It would have made more sense to streamline structures. This basically just adds another layer of decision-making to an existing, rather confused layer of decision-making within the system, and it's at the executive level of government. The onus is really on government at this point to actually explain exactly what these measures are meant to achieve, that couldn't be achieved by other more effective or more efficient alternatives. Van den Jeffer says the president should have appointed an independent panel of experts to solve the energy crisis, not give that task to the same government that created the catastrophe. Ramaphosa also promised to fix 151 bankrupt or near-bankrupt ANC-run municipalities with infrastructure projects and tighter financial controls. He promised two million new jobs and to cut violent crime by half. But even former ANC activists like Zaki Ahmad don't trust the Ramaphosa administration. We don't have a state of the nation. We have a state of destruction. The state is destroyed. It isn't capable of providing solutions to the struggle of working people and poor people. It isn't capable 
of providing services to middle class people. Our society must take power back. At a civil society rally coinciding with Ramaphosa's speech, speakers condemned the ANC for its ineptitude and alleged corruption. Former ANC stalwart Reverend Frank Chikane asked South Africans to rise up forcefully but non-violently against the party he almost died for when he was fighting against apartheid. We need to reach a stage where the system can't exist outside us and these parliamentarians will not continue doing what they are doing if we are there on the ground to deal with the crisis. And I would like to call on you that there's no other easy way except mobilizing the people and develop a system that will send a fear of God on those who are in power not to continue doing what they are doing. His Democracy Now! movement wants citizens to vote the ANC out in elections scheduled for early next year. Van den Jeffer says criticism of Ramaphosa for continuing to keep officials implicated in corruption in his cabinet and expecting citizens to trust them is valid. What he's doing here is leaving people in place that he can't work with and trying to compensate for that by adding people into the presidency. In the past, there was an attempt to use the presidency to interfere massively in the state and to profit from it. Many remnants of that former state capture project are within the executive not being removed. There's a real problem. As long as this persists, says Van den Jeffer, Ramaphosa can make all the speeches and promises he wants, but citizens won't have any faith in him to deliver. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. Here in the United States, February is Black History Month. The idea behind the observance grew out of the launch of Negro History Week on February 1, 1926, by black historian and author Carter Woodson. It has since evolved into a month-long celebration. Melvin Foote, the president and CEO of the organization called Constituency for Africa, joins us live to talk about the ongoing fight for equality as well as to recognize the contributions made by black Africans and black Americans. Melvin, thanks for joining us. Things were a lot different in the 1920s when Negro History Week began. There were changes in the 1960s, but it is clear that much remains to be tackled. What are the priorities today? Well, the priorities, uh, you know, for African Americans is really to achieve a free and fair and equitable society here in the United States. Uh, We have paid our dues more than anybody else in this country, but yet we lag behind on every social, economic, political factor uh, for the country. So while we made progress uh, since the launch of uh, Negro History Week, uh, we have a long, long way to go. Some of us are advocating for uh, uh, African-American history year so that the whole year would actually be dedicated, uh, you know, on a continuous basis. That's what we need to do to catch up. Well, it's clear that racism in the U.S. still remains. So how do we change the way people think and make them more open to being colorblind, if you will? Well, it's a, it's a real dilemma that we have in this country. Uh, you know, here are the United States and America is the wealthiest country in the world. You know, the, the highest educated, the best health care. You know, we have so much going for us as a country. Uh, and it's a country of immigrants. 
uh, everybody here came from somewhere else. Uh, you know, this doesn't get into the question of the treatment of the American Indian. You know, that's a whole other discussion. But, um, you know, we, we have a chance to put this country uh, together in a way that's going to lead us in a stronger economy. It's going to lead us in a stronger position in the world if we only could resolve the issue of race. Uh, but uh, it's more, uh, you know, we, we think we're making progress. Uh, we paid a lot of dues from Martin Luther King to Malcolm X, um, Stokely Carmichael, and all the others. Uh, but here we go again. Uh, now we seem to be almost in a worse position than we were even 30 years ago. So we're going in the wrong direction. Uh, you know, there are people, who are, uh, white people, who think that somehow uh, black people are taking the resources of the country when, in fact, uh, we're not. You know, we're the lowest economic uh, factor in the country. But, um, you know, they've been told that uh, uh, because of, uh, you know, African-Americans and other minorities, uh, they can't have what they need or something. It's, it's a very convoluted process, uh, and we have a long way to go to change it. Mm-hmm. Aside from race relations, such as it is in the United States, it is Black History Month. Um, so how do you see American elementary schools doing today and their progress or lack thereof on, on teaching black history to children? Are they doing a good job overall? I think not. Uh, you know, Americans, uh, you know, when it comes to black people, we're uninformed, underinformed, and misinformed. And, of course, a lot of, you know, we hear about what's going on in Florida these days where the governor is, uh, doesn't want to teach about black history, doesn't want to teach about uh, the, the issues of the American Indians. Don't want to teach about any minorities. He sees that as somehow threatening white kids. Um, they're, they're trying to roll back, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, affirmative uh, action for, for colleges and universities so that, uh, you know, we, we're trying to make the, the playing field fair for everybody, but yet the forces uh, are in the government, and they're not, not the Biden administration, they're but uh, certainly with the Trump administration before and the Republicans are trying to roll this back to the point where uh, black Americans are no longer uh, even considered American, if you will. So uh, I don't know where this is going to go. You know, maybe it's going to blow over and we'll get back to some normalcy. But right now it's a, it's a, it's a really disturbing uh, situation uh, here in the United States. Well, Melvin, thanks for your thoughts and thanks for, for being here. That's Melvin Foote. He's CEO and President of Constituency for Africa. World Health Organization officials warn cholera is surging rapidly on the African continent and vigorous action must be taken to quickly detect and stop the transmission of this deadly disease. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. An estimated 26,000 cholera cases and 660 deaths were reported in the month of January in 10 African countries. That equals about 30% of the number of cases reached in the whole of 2022 in 15 nations. The World Health Organization also reports the current fatality ratio is 3.3%, far exceeding the acceptable level of below 1%. It says Malawi, with more than 40,200 reported cholera cases and over 1,300 deaths since February 2022, is the most seriously affected country. It notes neighboring Mozambique and Zambia recently have reported cases of this highly transmissible disease. 
Patrick Otim is Health Emergency Officer in WHO's Africa region. He says cholera outbreaks in Africa are occurring in the context of extreme climatic events and conflicts. He says drought conditions have worsened flare-ups in Somalia, Ethiopia, and Kenya. So the drought significantly uh, affects the availability of safe drinking water for people in those areas. We also have other climate conditions like flooding and, 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 and cyclones, and you will remember that the outbreak in Malawi followed a tropical storm Anna last year, which affected the southern part of the country and affected the water and sanitation infrastructure, and it then laid the ground for this outbreak to start. WHO reports 23 countries around the world currently are experiencing cholera outbreaks, and 20 countries that share land borders with affected countries are at risk. More than 1 billion people are directly at risk of cholera. People who become infected with cholera, which spreads through contaminated water and food, can die within hours if they are not treated immediately. An effective oral vaccine to prevent cholera exists. However, Otim notes, the global surge in cholera cases has created a vaccine shortage and has led to a temporary suspension of the two-dose strategy. He says a single-dose approach has been adopted to extend access of this life-saving vaccine to more countries. So already at the beginning of the year, we have significant demand for the vaccines. And if more countries are affected uh, as, as the year goes by, then we will not be able to meet uh, the demand for vaccines. With the vaccine shortage, WHO says nations must rely on other measures to stop outbreaks and save lives. The UN Health Agency is asking countries to scale up disease surveillance prevention and treatment readiness. It says once a small outbreak is detected, nations must jump into action and immediately contain it before it spreads. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Access to social media has been blocked in Ethiopia and schools were closed on Friday amid a rift in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church. The church's patriarch was meeting today with Prime Minister Abi Ahmed. Reuters says protests recently took place in the Aromia region with three church officials declared themselves archbishops and then set up their own governing body. The move led to demonstrations between those who support or are against that move. Thirty people have been killed in protests since February 4th. The social media watchdog Netblocks says the ban on social media has restricted Facebook, Messenger, TikTok and Telegram. The church is calling for demonstrations on Sunday, which the government has banned in what it calls an effort to prevent violence. You're listening to Africa News Tonight. Reuters reports that Islamic extremists have killed at least 16 security forces in an ambush in northern Burkina Faso. The attack took place on Wednesday near the village of Kumistanga in Namantanga. Sources told Reuters that seven gendarmes and nine members of a volunteer defense force were killed. The army has not commented on the attack. This week, the medical charities Doctors Without Borders, or MSF, suspended its operations in northwest Burkina Faso after armed gunmen killed two of its employees. 
Demonstrations in Goma this week against the perceived inaction of the East African Community Force against M23 rebels has caused widespread damage there. Some demonstrators attacked businesses and churches belonging to the Benmen Luleng or Congolese Tutsis. These ethnically motivated attacks have been condemned by human rights activists and the Congolese government. Reporter Zanem Neti Zaidi has the story from Goma. In Goma, demonstrations against what protesters call the ineffectiveness of the East African community forces in restoring peace has caused significant damage. The demonstrators took over stores, restaurants, boutiques and churches used by Congolese Tutsi called Banyamulenge, accused of being accomplices of the M23. It's an attitude that discourages young activists who believe that the demonstrations often stray from their objectives and give way to barbarism, according to Filemo Mapendo. He says that demonstrations organized in Goma have led to vandalism and a lot of looting and destruction. All of this is discouraging to local human rights activists. Paul Munyagala, another young activist, believes that these acts tarnish the image of Congolese youth and those behind the violence should be punished. He says that he saw young people attacking Congolese Tutsi churches, accusing them of being behind the M23. He says these acts of ethnic barbarism tarnish the image and the futures of young people involved in the violence. The Congolese government, through its spokesman Patrick Muyaya, also condemned the young protesters in Goma. He says that it is not good to give the impression that there is ethnic war in Congo. He says that it is necessary to avoid infiltrators who are everywhere can take advantage of protests and rallies to carry out acts that will ultimately harm peaceful communities. The security situation remains volatile in the eastern part of the Democratic Republic of Congo, where M23 rebels are advancing. With fighting reported a few kilometers from the town of Sake, located at about 20 kilometers from the city of Goma. For VOA Africa, Amzanem Nechizaidi. Somalia and the United Nations are appealing for a $2.6 billion aid to aid billions of Somalis facing hunger as the country remains gripped by a record-setting drought. Somalia has been struggling against famine-like conditions that aid groups say are forcing thousands of people to flee from the countryside into cities seeking help. Ahmed Mohammed reports from Mogadishu, Somalia. In a small hut made of sticks and covered in old rags in the Haji Mursal camp for internally displaced people, Habiba Made is preparing a dinner of porridge for her six children. Her neighbor gave her the food as she's not yet on the Russian list for the camp, as brawling Bob Up village of makeshift shelters, housing hundreds on the outskirts of Mogadishu. 
Madei fled her village in southwest Somalia in late December because of what she says is the worst drought she has ever seen. I have never experienced such a situation since I was born, she says. All our livestock died one after another and we had nothing to depend on. Madei says they moved in groups from town to another until they arrived at this camp in Mogadishu. She says, I don't know if we will ever recover from this. Aid groups say thousands like Madea have for months been streaming into camps near Somalia cities. The UN says the drought has displaced 1.4 million people and killed at least 3.5 million livestock. The UN on Wednesday appealed for 2.6 billion USD in aid for Somalia, saying 8 million people, nearly half of the population, are facing hunger. If not addressed, UN says the farming that Somalia narrowly affected last year could become a reality by April. Ahmed Umar is associate director of aid group World Vision Somalia. He says donors covered just two-thirds of their appeal last year and he fears competing needs could impact donor support just as poor weather is predicted. Omar says Somalia is facing other global needs that compete for the support of donors. There is an emergence of new global humanitarian needs that need the attention of donors. He says, like the humanitarian crisis caused by the Ukraine war clashes in Ethiopia, as well as the earthquake disaster in Turkey, the Horn of Africa, especially Somalia, is experiencing the most severe drought in at least four decades as five consecutive rainy seasons have failed. Omar says World Vision is leading the Somalia Resilience Program, an umbrella group of aid agencies that aim to build community resilience against the effects of climate change. Ahmed Hadi is the founder of Somali Civic House, a Mogadishu-based governance think tank. Uh, Somalia. He says since Somalia has had no strong government for 30 years, there is no central planning agency. Hadi says there is also fighting in the country. Al-Shabaab militants are a thorn in the people's business and other infrastructure. The UN says even though Somalia has not yet reached the technical farming threshold, it's experiencing higher than normal deaths, which will continue unless aid is scaled up. The last farming to ravage the Horn of Africa nation like this came in 2011, when more than a quarter million people died. Ahmed Mohamed for VOA News, Mogadishu, Somalia. Cameroon has announced it's restricting its border with Equatorial Guinea in an effort to prevent the spread of an unknown illness that causes hemorrhagic fever. Equatorial Guinea says that 10 people have died over the past week from the illness in the district of Unsak Unsomo in Kientem province. Other authorities say another 10 people have died in villages elsewhere in the province. Reuters says their symptoms include fever, weakness, vomiting blood and diarrhea. Some patients have recovered with mild treatment. 
A medical team has been sent to isolate contact cases and take samples for testing in a regional lab of the World Health Organization. Cameroon's health minister says there's a risk of the illness crossing borders. However, he says in his words, at the current stage, there is no reason to be worried. And that wraps it up for this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Carol Van Dam in Washington. For all the latest news and latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mukbil Yabaro, and our engineer, Nashua Nkali, thanks for joining us on The Voice of America. Maxwell, host of Music Time in Africa. Join me every Saturday and Sunday for an hour of awesome African music. Like to stay on top of new music trends? Breakout artists? New releases? Maybe you just love the classic styles and artists of the past. Or simply the sound and feel of a good beat. Whatever your pleasure, you can get it every week right here on Music Time in Africa. So join me on your local FM 